May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Since I got here in August of 2019, I have heard repeated by different parishioners at multiple times a saying fairly constantly, at least once every couple months, that uh, tell God your plans and he'll laugh. Tell God your plans and he'll laugh. And it's kind of, you know, saying that may at at first strike you as a little cheesy or something like that. But actually think about it. Think about where you were five or ten years ago, where you are now. Have things gone how you planned them? There's a great human lie that we like to tell ourselves that in one way or another we are in control. Everything will go the way that we planned it because we're in charge. This is a drama that plays out in the story of Abraham. We've been in the story of Abraham for for a few weeks now in our Old Testament readings. And I would argue one of the major vices Abraham has to unlearn is this attempt to control. There are at least three incidences in his life that come to mind when we're talking about this flaw. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah go to Egypt. And there, Abraham lies to Pharaoh saying that Sarah is his sister, not his wife. He does this because he's afraid that Pharaoh, seeing how beautiful Sarah is, will kill Abraham so that Pharaoh can have her instead. Now, of course, this lie comes with unintended consequences. Pharaoh ends up taking Sarah into his house, forcing her into this uncomfortable love triangle founded on deceit. And it's only because God tells Pharaoh in a dream that she's married that he ends up giving her back to Abraham. Now, you would think after the first time, Abraham would learn his lesson. But eight chapters later, they go to the land of Gerar. And with King Abimelech, Abraham does the exact same stunt, telling him that Sarah is his sister and that um, and this causes the king to take Sarah into his house. And he's told by God she's actually married. Now, in between these two stories in the story of Genesis, there is this other story of Hagar and Ishmael. This is a story that's near and dear to my heart, so much so I wrote a thesis on it. I will not read you that thesis today. In that story, Sarah takes Hagar. She takes Hagar, her Egyptian servant, and gives her to Abraham. Note the verbal similarity to the Adam and Eve story. Eve took the fruit and gave it to Adam. Sarah takes Hagar and she gives gives her to Abraham. It's a retelling of the fall. And the purpose of this exploitation of Hagar is for Abraham to realize God's promise of descendants, even though the means of Hagar were outside the way God intended to bring that promise to fruition. God intended Sarah to be the mother of Abraham's seed. So in each case, in each of these stories, we have misplaced human initiative. These are all attempts to be prudent Abraham wants to survive in these different cities. They want to make sure that their line continues. And, but what ends up happening is they create more problems than they solve. Of course, in each of these cases, God intervenes. He miraculously makes the two kings aware of Sarah's true identity, and he provides spectacularly for Hagar and Ishmael. But these incidents in Abraham's stories are reminders that it's always better for us to trust and obey. If we want to flourish, we'll listen to how God, who is our creator, who knows us even better than we know ourselves, tells us what flourishing looks like. Part of this flourishing is recognizing that while we are in control of ourselves, we're in control of how we respond to things, 
We are not usually in control of those circumstances. God is. God is. The medievals used the phrase wheel of fortune, which we, of course, have a nice game show about, right? But nobody controls the, how much money they're going to make on the spin. You know, it's totally up to chance. And so the, the medievals depicted us all on this wheel of fortune, and sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down, and there's very little you can do about it. But you can control how you respond in those situations. And I believe that by the time we get to Abraham in today's Old Testament reading from Genesis chapter 24, he has at least begun to understand this important lesson about who's actually in control. Abraham is nearing his old age. He recognizes God's past faithfulness to him, even when Abraham wasn't faithful to God. God has at this point given him Isaac through a wife who he thought was barren. He's preserved Isaac through the whole ordeal of the sacrifice story that we read last week from Genesis chapter 22. And so this time, rather than taking matters into his own hands, rather than misplaced human initiative, Abraham embraces a posture of trust that actually reminds us of how he responded to when God called him to leave his homeland and family all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And so Abraham calls his most trusted servant and he sends him to find Isaac a, he sends him to find Isaac a wife from Abraham's own family. After dwelling in the land of Canaan Abraham had seen that intermarriage with the people there wouldn't be good for the continuation of the line. This is not Abraham being ethnocentric or racist by the way. This is him recognizing that the people in Canaan were engaged in severe idolatry to the point that it really amounted to crimes against humanity because they're Cultic life often included things like child sacrifice. In fact, we should read that story from last week about the sacrifice of Isaac as a rebuttal against the Canaanite way of doing religion, which treated children as sacrificial objects. God doesn't want human sacrifice. God sacrifices himself for humans. And so seeing the mess of Canaan, Abraham sends his servant back to his homeland in search of a wife for his son. Rather than trying to exert himself, Abraham allows this servant an out. He says, hey, if you find a woman who won't return with you, then I release you from the oath that we're making. And so the servant goes and he arrives in the the area that Abraham grew up in. He goes to the well for water and there he makes this bargain with God. And by the way, as an aside, it's very interesting to do a study on the book of Genesis about what happens at wells. (laughs) So he gets to this well and he, he, he's waiting and he prays and he says, God, let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. So let her not only answer, but go above and beyond. And before he's even done praying, Rebecca shows up at the well. And when the servant asks her for water, She offers some to his camels also. God is faithful. God delivers. God had providentially ordered Abraham's steps and the servant's steps to give them exactly what they needed. I'm going to get personal for a moment because maybe today I need to preach to myself more than I need to preach to any of you. This week did not go the way that I had hoped it would. (laughs) Last week, Caroline went to her aunt's funeral. She flew out Sunday morning. The boys were here for all three services. They did a great job, better than some of you, in fact. (laughs) And on the way to the park and ride where she was going to park, her Jeep started acting real funny, stalling, not 
working quite right. So Monday we had it towed to the mechanic. They worked on it all day Tuesday. They worked on it all day Wednesday. They were optimistic. They kept calling me with updates. Hey, we're pretty sure we're close to fixing it. And then Wednesday night I got a call. It was catastrophic engine failure. Catastrophic engine failure. So it's useless. Uh, This is, of course, on top of a number of other things already going on because none of these things ever happen when things are, you know... You know, we just lost Lynn Bender, like I said. That weighed heavy on us, and a number of other situations didn't quite go as planned either. When we're faced with tough situations, you know, what do we do? What do we do? We can't control when the car breaks down. We can't control when the layoff happens. We can't control when the relationship breaks down. But what do we do when it happens? That's the question. And there are three ways that we can respond. I mean, One of our, at least one of my inclinations always, is to fall into some sort of despair, the sin of despair, to doubt that God will really do or could do anything in our situation. We might as well pack it up and go home. Things are so bad, not even God could help us, which is a very nihilistic and hopeless way of being in the world. There's not much fruit there. Another response, and I think it's fitting that we read our gospel from St. Matthew where Jesus condemns the false teachers, is that we can buy into something like the prosperity gospel, which is so common here in America. It tells us, hey, if you have enough faith, you'll experience prosperity. If you have enough faith, you won't get sick. If you have enough faith, you'll be healed. If you have enough faith, you'll make X number of dollars. You know, maybe if I have enough faith, there'll be a Rolls Royce waiting for me when I get home. (laughs) Something tells me that's not going to happen. But if you're looking to donate to Rolls-Royce, let me know. But of course, this is not what the Christian scriptures tell us that our life as Christians is like. There's always going to be struggling. There's always going to be wrestling. There's always going to be these moments where we're just not sure what God's doing, and you kind of wish he'd hurry up and resolve the situation. And so if we want to avoid nihilism, if we want to avoid myths like the prosperity gospel, where do we turn? What do we do? And I think the answer relies in trust. Trust involves hope based on God's past faithfulness to us and the present reality of our sonship. Abraham was towards the end of his life. He was was preparing for final exams, we might say. And he could look back at his long life and he could see all the places where God had been faithful to him, where God had provided an incentive for him to trust in God. And so Abraham was said, okay, and he sends his servant back to the homeland. Similarly, we can look at the places in our lives where God has been faithful to us. In the Old Testament, there are these things called Ebenezer monuments, and they're raised at certain locations that were significant to the Israelites in their story. And they functioned as teaching tools. So when you were journeying from one place to another in Israel, you could look at an Ebenezer stone and you could tell your children, hey, that's where God parted the waters for us when we thought it's hopeless. Hey, that's where God gave us the snake. The, the bronze serpent that we lifted up in the middle of camp and we could look at and we were saved when the serpents invaded our camp. Hey, that's where God turned the bitter waters into drinkable water for us. They were teaching tools. And each one of us have moments in our lives that are these Ebenezers that we can look back and we can say, things felt hopeless. God was there. God knew it was best. God did what, what was best for us. It may not always look like what we had hoped at the beginning, but it's still God working for us. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. And this, of course, is an important thing to remember in the past, but in the present, we can also pair that with the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. All of us who have passed through the waters of baptism 
are sons and daughters of God. And in Luke chapter 11, Jesus asks, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Of course we wouldn't do that to our children. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You are a child of God right now. The same God whose property is always to have mercy. The same God who's always faithful to you even when you're not faithful to him. And so our hope is not, our hope cannot be in vain. And it's important to remember that trust involves uniting our experience to Christ and his suffering. When we suffer, when we have moments of doubt, when we have seasons of hardship, we can look to him who bears our burdens, who bears the burdens of the whole world, when we could not possibly bear them ourselves. And that's also part of the Christian life. We come alongside those who are bearing burdens. We help them bear. We, the church is one of the means by which God does this burden bearing. Jesus died for us. And he defeated death by his resurrection. And so he's earned our trust. And finally, I think it's important to remember that, that trust means living in the spirit. We read about the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8. Because we're children of God, not in a cold and distant way, but in an intimate way. He's Abba, Father. Because of this, he gives us this great gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we have the Holy Spirit, we know that God is enough and we know that he gives us enough. Consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. God continually provides for them and how much more precious are you than they? As baptized Christians... We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we can be confident that the Spirit, our helper and our paraclete, is always working in us. It may not always feel like it, and it may not always feel pleasant, but that's what he's doing. He's always there. He's always working. Whatever the circumstances, all things work together for the good of those who love him. He's always, as the colleague says, moving us away from those things that are harmful, and he's giving us those things that will be profitable. And the question is, what do we do when we have them? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.